Hashem speaks to you in whatever medium he chooses that is right for your soul, that medium is going to be, or that part of life or that field is going to be both the thing you're most drawn to and the thing you wrestle with the most. Hi, hi, hi. I'm Tanya, and you are listening to episode 10 of Human and Holy. Can you believe it's already episode 10? A podcast by The Tanya Project, where we discuss spiritual ideas in human terms. Today's episode is sponsored by Chaya and Moshe Aber, Le'ilor Nishmas, their mother, Alessa Bina Boslaib. Thank you for making today's episode happen, and may Alessa Bina's Nishama have an aliyah. To sponsor an episode or become a supporter on Patreon, please reach out at humanandholy at gmail.com. So in today's episode, I interview Sarah Hecht, who is a singer-songwriter about creativity from the perspective of Torah. Sarah speaks about allowing herself to become a vessel for God's work to flow through her and how that can only be accomplished through conscious listening to the sound of truth within. I found the ideas that Sarah shared here to be relevant to so many different aspects of our lives and to be a lot broader than just creativity itself. It is a lifelong work to really pay attention to the voice of the soul within us in order to lead our lives from a place that is authentic and true. I hope this episode inspires you to pay a little closer attention to the sound of your soul. My name is Sarah Heft, and I would define myself as a seeker. I think we're all seekers. I think I'm pretty passionate about truth. And it seems like one of the dominant ways I've been sort of challenged to find truth in life is through creativity and music and art. Of course, in life struggles and just day to day, the music has played a really pivotal role in a lot of my seeking. I'm so excited to hear from you. I'm a fan of your music. I've, I actually hate the word fan. I don't really know what the right word for it would be, but I have heard your music and heard the soulfulness in your music. I'm so excited to hear about your creative process. Creativity is an endless topic to discover, especially in the realm of Hasidus. So I think it's going to be cool to hear it from someone who's professionally a singer-songwriter and a creative person. I don't. How do you define yourself as a creative person, actually? I don't want to do it for you because I know you have so many different forms of creativity. I mean, it's an interesting question. I really think, I really think we're all artists because we're all creating. We're all part of creation. We're all co-partners with the creator and we're all creating in some form or another. So in a way, like the artist title is very elite because it's like, oh, some people are artists, but really we're all artists. So I think you tend to notice that your your art, you know, the idea of being an artist exists everywhere in life. Some of us maybe spend more time with one medium than another, but cooking in the kitchen, education, these are all art forms. The arts has become like music and painting and drama and dance, but really I think we're all artists. So I don't feel I need to really limit it to one art form, but music is, is definitely one of my loves. 
Okay, nice. I like that. <laughs> We're always creating in so many ways. Yes. Why don't you begin by telling us what creativity means to you, specifically as a Jew and Hasid? I mean, I think that we're born to create. I think we're we have like the the idea of creating and creativity is is embedded in our DNA, right? We're imprints of the divine. So the desire to create and the desire to be part of creation, the desire to be a channel for creation, these are things that are inherent to us. I do think that perhaps some of us are born maybe with a greater sensitivity to that fire or passion. So while some of us may move through life being maybe less aware of how we're part of creation or actively creating or being a channel for creation, others, you know, it sort of becomes their life mission or purpose to really delve into what it means to create. And I think actually sometimes when we're more aware or more sensitive to the idea of being part of creation or partners with the creator, there's more challenges because the more aware you become of anything, the more you're you're involved and the more you you have to wrestle and the more you have to be authentic and the more you have to like clear space to be really out of the way so that the beautiful things can happen. So sometimes I'm envious of people who maybe don't call themselves an artist <laughs> because there's just like a flow that is less noticing of oneself sort of. But I've been called to to have to seek in that way. So I take it. <laughs> nice. I like that so much that there's like a self-awareness that comes with being an artist that could disturb the flow. Definitely. I would actually say it's the greatest challenge in the room. Because once you feel, or once I could say about myself, once I feel that I can give myself a title like that, or once I could say, oh, I'm an artist, I wrote a song, that's where I begin to lose everything I have. So <laughs> that's really at the heart of a lot of what I've been thinking about along this like really beautiful, deep topic. But there's a precipice there where like you could really you have to be so sensitive and attuned to not stepping over the edge. Um, and it's constant. What would you say the opposite of self-awareness is as a creative person? I would say it's a place that you can't, you can't manipulate or fight for or try to get to. But it's a gift that comes when just by the mere fact that you've worked through all of that stuff, just by the mere fact that you are committed to keep working through all of those voices and noise and self-awareness or consciousness that really like the divine just comes in, like Hashem just comes in, the creativity comes in and it begins to create without you in the way at all. So, I mean, I love to say it like this. It's like instead of me writing the song, the song is writing me. And I know that sounds really poetic, but, I love it. But, it's, but it's very real. It's very, very real. And I can only say it's real because I've experienced it. It's something I, I crave to taste again and again, but you can't expect it too much. <laughs> How do you actively seek that divine awareness in your creativity? I mean, all of these things that sort of sound so beautiful and, and really are like the poetry of the process, I genuinely would not have been able to get there without the help of all the angels and guides and like teachings that Hashem sends along the way. And I definitely have been gifted and blessed to have the most incredible teachers. I really call them mentors, just people that Hashem sent to me, literally in the way and in the time that I needed them. Um, and what's interesting is that all of them, but particularly one that I just want to speak about for a moment, because she reminded me of this idea that 
you know, we study Torah, we study Hasidut, we study, you know, all these beautiful concepts for those of us who've grown up with them in our youth. But often it's, it's, it's a text or it's a phrase or it's something you read or you heard and it's nice. It's maybe even really inspiring, maybe even overwhelmingly inspiring. But I think until we really live something, those concepts really remain a little bit more ethereal. And I remember coming into a voice lesson with this voice teacher who I literally sobbed every single voice lesson. Sometimes I sobbed on the way there and on the way back because, and, and people say, so why were you going? Because I knew I needed to learn everything I was learning from her. And, and it, it was, it was emotional and overwhelming because she was breaking me down piece by piece to show me all the corners and crevices where I was not truly being open to that divine creativity flowing through me. She would say things to me. They were just reminiscent of things I had learned like in Hasidus over the years. And I remember once looking at her and saying like, how do you know this? Because she certainly hadn't grown up with, you know, any of the teachings I had. And she looked at me and she said, I just do. She's like, I just, I know I've lived this. And I remember in that moment saying, well, divine wisdom is in the universe. It's everywhere, right? You can read it in a sacred book. You can read it in the world. You can read it or learn it from somebody speaking to you. And, and I think it's so important that we begin to see the world and humanity as teachers of Torah because Hashem has put the Torah in the world. And so even if I didn't have access to the book or even if what I read in, in the holy book you know, remained ethereal, Hashem's going to find a way to carve it into me. And so, I mean, this is a great segue into like some of the maybe concepts that I remember learning or knowing about, but them not really being carved into me until I lived them. So the first thing is, it's just a really small line from a mimer of the Alter Rebbe in Likutei Torah. It's a mimer on tefillah, on prayer. And there's one line in it. He's speaking about when a person is praying and he says that the person really doesn't have to do anything when they pray. All they need to do is pay attention to the song and the prayer that the neshama itself is singing all the time. Prayer is is expressed there as a silencing of the body, a silencing of the white noise, of, of that loudness that's in the world, and that you're not really actively creating or doing something. You're really just making space or silence for the song to, to that's already playing be sung through you. And I remember reading that and just thinking, wow, this is beautiful. But I didn't really know what it meant. <laughs> you know, not then anyway. So that was probably in the background of my draw of wisdom. But didn't come to the fore till I really learned what it meant, which we can talk about soon, I guess. And then the other thing is there's an encounter of Eliyahu with with God. Um, he's having a prophetic, you know, encounter. And it's in the book of Malachim of Kings. And it's this famous phrase where Hashem appears and there's a wind and there's an earthquake and then there's fire and then there's just a quiet voice. And the Hebrew words are just so profound. I'll just read them. The nevuah, like the prophecy, the words of prophecy or the pasuk is sort of expressing lo baruach Hashem v'achar haruach ra'ash lo baruach Hashem v'achar harash esh lo ba'esh Hashem v'achar ha'esh kol d'mamadaka You know, God's not in the wind. He's not in the earthquake. He's not in any of these things. And after that fire, there was a soft sound. And then, then Hashem speaks to Eliyahu and he receives clarity for his mission. Wow. I mean, even if you don't explain anything, there's so much hidden in there. But actually, the Mitsuda Stavit says something so beautiful. Cold Mamadaka, he says, 
it's this quiet voice. He says, it's a mixture of sound and silence. And music is sound and silence. That's really what it is. And the Zohar actually says, called Mamadaka, in that quiet place, that's where the king comes. So there's this like profound, ethereal, beautiful, I mean, it's a very prophetic idea that like in the silence, the king comes in. Like, what does that mean? But for me, it's become very, very real in songwriting. We can talk about that. Oh my gosh. Your sources from the Torah just gave me chills. That's the Torah. (laughs) (laughs) It'll give you chills. (laughs) So beautiful. Like the line of prayer being just honing in on the song of the soul that's already there not creating anything new. And then that soft silence, that's a combination between silence and sound. How do you see that show up in your creativity? I'm going to tell you what two of my teachers said to me because they both brought up these ideas to me that are really exactly all of that. And they showed me how to get there. You know, if you can say that it's a lifelong process, you're never there. And, and what was true yesterday becomes inauthentic today. So it's like, there's always this deeper level of truth you have to push for. But I remember my voice teacher, her name is Claudia Nurit Henig. I should give uh, credit to her. I remember when I first came into singing, you know, I would start to sing and she would say, no, 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 wait. And I said, what am I waiting for? And she said, there's a quiet before the first note. You can't just start singing. She's like, you have to wait for the note to come. And I remember thinking, what do you mean to come? I'm going to open my mouth and choose when to make the sound. And she was like, no, 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 no. You're not doing anything. You are going to wait for the sound to come to you. And I can't even, I don't know if I can explain it here on this podcast, but even technically, vocally, there's an actual way to do that, to literally vocally have the sound sort of come first before you do anything. She gave me all these exercises of how to really sort of wait for the sound, to place it like mentally in a certain place and open my body and wait for the sound to start to start moving sort of. I don't know. It sounds very, <laughs> sounds beautiful. a little lofty, but well, no. beautiful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, so I think, I mean, that was like the first sort of taste of something very, very deep about this idea of letting it come through you if you want to be a part of creation and let creativity flow through you, then there's there's a way to be a part of that. There's a way, there's a vessel for that. There's a way to carve the vessel. That is so profound. Being in that room and saying, What do you mean? Like I open my mouth and the music starts. And she's like, No, you wait for the note to come. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'll be very honest. I can't even say I have that tied up in a box. And I remember she said this to me. I remember having a lesson with her that was so successful. Like we did it. You know, I was there. I was there and I wasn't there because I was so there. And I remember thinking, oh, we're in. And she looked at me and she said, no, no, no. Tomorrow you're going to have to do this all over again. She's like, you never have it. You never have it. The minute you think you have it, you lose it. And honestly, that was frightening to hear, but it just was so authentic and true. Because it's this like constant silencing of everything else in order to make room for that divinity to flow through you in creativity. Yes. yes. And you never know each day how much noise you're going to have to wade through before you get to the silence again, because there's a lot of stuff inside of us that God pushes us to reckon with. And it's not even a day. Sometimes it's weeks, sometimes it's months, sometimes a year. You know, you don't know, you don't know when you're done the digging <laughs> to have a moment of that carved empty hollow where you can just really disappear. I like that you pinpointed that because 
sometimes different seasons of our life require a different amount of wrestling or conscious work to get to that flow and that space where we're just like allowing something to move through us so that the note and the music could start without our interference. Yes. What would you practically call that interference? Like for you, what is that noise? In a way, maybe it's wrong to call it interference because here's what happens, right? We spend time sort of wading through the noise or being frustrated that creativity is not coming or wrestling with ideas and wondering why we're not in a flow or having our own internal battle with our own, you know, relationship with God or our lives or our struggles that prevent us from creating or being artistically inclined or in flow. And then we do reach some sort of sweet space where it it comes again, it comes back. It's like the wave returns, right? Suddenly it's good again. Suddenly we're flowing. Suddenly music's coming out of us. Suddenly we're painting, whatever it is. For me, sometimes there's a tendency to feel regret or guilt over all that time that I would call wasted, that I spent being frustrated and annoyed and will creativity ever come again? And, and where are you, God? And why is my soul so numb and silent? And, you know, is there anything to even listen to? And am I, you know, do I even have a purpose in this field at all? But that's, I think, such a, such a wrong way to view it, to say, you know, it was wasted time or it was just an interference to the flow. I think it's vital to the flow coming back, to the wave coming back, because it's the very act of emptying the space, which will constantly refill itself, that allows us to come to that carved out, empty, quiet room where the soul is in flow again. And so it's, it's almost like saying, you know, the dishes need to be washed every single day because you're using them. And so the, the sink's going to fill up again and again and again. You can't have the sink empty every single morning. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you can if you wash them at night, but <laughs> right. meaning that activity, it, it's just the, the, I think the concept of being an exile is that there's a constant, you know, tikkun that, that is being called for. And, and what you rectified yesterday is not going to make the cut for today. So it's just vital. It's, it's the process, really. It's not even an interference. It's just that we tend to view it that way because we're so inclined, especially in our culture today, I think, to be in a state of productivity that you can taste and touch and feel and show. But what if all those weeks or months of being in that grit and that difficult place are just as productive or maybe more productive or maybe extremely vital to the final product you're going to be able to show anybody as when you're in flow? In what way would you say that those months of, you know, full sync and grit and creativity or maybe noise, the opposite of silence and the opposite of that soft sound that you mentioned earlier from Malachim, what would you say that tangibly contributes to the silence that comes? The first thing that rises up for me is that it inevitably allows you to be your most authentic soul voice. Because if you've wrestled with all the things that are not your soul's voice, then in the end, all that's going to rise up is what is what remains, which the truth always remains. And so, and I think why I love that quote from Malachim is because it says it right there. It's this process of saying, where is God? He's not here in the wind. He's not here in the earthquake. He's not here in the fire. He's not in the noise. Where is he? And, and you sort of, it's almost like every piece that I write or everything I create in that time is like, no, it's not this. No, it's not this. No, it's not this. And it's like, 
but that's not wasted pieces, even though you'll never publish them. You need to go through the, it's not this, it's not this. God is not here. God is not here to say, ah, God is here. This is my sound. And, and really to even be able to really just rejoice in that sound when you find it. To know what it is, is you only know it because you said no a thousand times. You're reminding me, another music teacher I had who has said the most profound things to me about music. I like, I just feel like he should be my lifelong mentor. We sort of started these lessons where I would bring him compositions. I would compose, you know, actually for several different instruments, which is not something I was ever trained to do, but I just started loving it. And I would bring him pieces and he would critique them. He would give me feedback and sort of give me points and, and send me back home to do more work. And it, he was very hard on me. So like I'd bring him these pieces, like for the first time I composed for violin or something and whatever it is, the piece I would bring him would have lyrics often. And he would look at them. He, he didn't even have to listen. He would just flip through the pages of music, the sheet music, and just look at it like he's reading a book. Oh my God. And you know, I'd, I'd search his facial expressions, like, come on, show me something good. And often he'd be a little, you know, whatever. Sometimes he'd smile. Sometimes he'd be like, oh, I like that little phrase. But often he'd send me back home and say, it's not yet you. It's not yet you. And then one day I walked into the piece. This is after weeks and weeks, probably months. And he looked at it and he said, I have nothing to analyze here. This is true. And I think that's what we all want to get to in, in whatever thing we're wrestling with in our lives to come to this place where I just say, I know this is true. I don't need to ask anybody. I don't need to doubt my own self anymore. I've said, no, God is not there in all these other places a thousand times. I've cleared the noise that in this quiet space, only truth remains. Oh my God. I feel like now I understand what you mean by both sound and silence, because when there's a lack of noise, suddenly only the sound of truth remains and nothing that's not the truth of your soul comes out. Yes. Yes. hundred percent. And I think also even within music itself, the silence has such a holy sacred space because if there was no silence in music, then the notes would just be one loud. It would just be rush. It would just be noise, right? If every sound followed another sound and there was never space. So it's that silence that is not just sacred before the music, but is sacred inside of the music. And, and maybe as we're speaking, I'm thinking maybe that's also the humble place that keeps drawing you back to the fact that you're not creating, that that sound is not yours. Like you're back to the silent space every time you, you step between a note. I feel like for a lot of people in this type of in creativity, there's that fear that I heard you mention, which is like, where's my creativity? Like, is it lost forever when you can't find it? I can internalize what you're saying, like this idea that I'm channeling a divinity that's working through me to express itself through my song, through my words, through whatever expression I have. As you said, creativity is not only traditional art forms. Then there's so much less fear and more trust that my soul has something to give and I just have to like let it work through me. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. But there's still such a leap of faith, I think, to even trust that I can be a part of this process. Like, can I let myself surrender and, and step off into this abyss of, you don't know when it's going to flow through you and how, but really to be committed to just keep carving, just keep carving, even, even, even if I can't hear anything yet. You're talking about this, you know, this allowing the divinity to work through you, to be silent so that the ultimate truth of whatever you're creating will come out. But there is inauthentic art that exists. 
And somehow it seems like there's a way to work around it where people could create art, not from that deep and true authentic place. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that in relation to this explanation of what creativity means. So I think it's funny. My first thought is, in a way, this concept is also so subjective, meaning each person can only know for themselves how true is this art to the sound that I'm listening to. My music teacher used to say to me, when you finish a piece, the only question you need to ask is, is this authentic to the call that I heard? That's already establishing there was a call of some sort. There was like something that transcended me that called me to it. And so I can't speak, you know, we can sit here and critique other people's art or judge other people's sound, but only the artist really knows how authentic they were in that process. Or, you know, if we're manipulating the art form a little bit, because we can. And I think God gave us that free choice, like he gives us free choice in everything. So yeah, you can 100% lead the music instead of letting the music lead you. And I think that's part of the struggle, that you can manipulate it. My teacher used to always say, am I in front of the art or is the art in front of me? And he said, you always want the art to be in front of you. But hey, it's really fun to be in front of the art because it's really fun to write about myself. Myself meaning not necessarily from a deep, divine, soulful place or just to want to be in the forefront of the art form, just to want people to notice me versus the music or the painting or the poem. That agenda is a really big part of the struggle. And it's possible to create really cool art <laughs> when you're in front of it. It is. It's the art that sells. It's the art that's catchy. It's the music that's, you know, sometimes in the top 40. <laughs> I mean, again, not to critique some of the top 40, but you know what it is? It's like, it's, it's, that's what sells. What sells is the fast food. It's the fast, quick, catchy things. The songs that have you at hello. Not necessarily is the song that you're authentic to the call you heard going to have everyone at, hel at hello, but when they lean in to listen to it, if they're willing to carve their own space of silence, they will hear something true. So I think, yeah, there's a big struggle to, you want to just join the lights. You really do because it's fun and there's a lot of noise out there and there's a lot of color and attention and social media. But the more you become quiet inside of yourself, the harder it is to authentically be there. God, it's I'm like so moved by what you're sharing. Authentic, if you make art from a place that is authentic to the call that you heard, then if people carve out the space to truly listen, then they will hear truth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really true. Like there's there's books that you'll read that grab you at the first line, and then there's books that you read that take. 30 minutes to attune your frequency to a writer's pace. And I feel like that's true literature is when it takes time to like hear what they're hearing and to get into their, their zone. And when you're tapping into your soul, when you create, then if we make the space to listen to what you're creating, then we get to experience that place that you heard and that you found when you were seeking. A hundred percent. And I love what you're sharing because it's making me think of, of another real truth in, in creation and in learning how to listen is that, you know, what we're going to call in quotations, the artist or the person who's in the process of trying to be a part of that creative flow has to learn how to listen really, really deeply. But ultimately we're all learning how to listen. And when I write something, 
I want the listener to learn how to listen just as I am. Meaning it's really a relationship. It's, there's no point in me putting out art if no one's going to lean in and listen with me because otherwise I'm alone in this leaning in and listening. And, and the idea is we want all to become more sensitive and to become more nuanced listeners. And so it's almost like the listening in that I'm doing is begging for other people to listen with me, like join me in this nuanced listening, because otherwise who will sit in this quiet space? I'm not here to just, you know, be alone in it. (laughs) I love that you said join me because I feel like sometimes performers or creators could say, watch me. Mm. (laughs) And join me is so different. Wow, that's really beautiful. I'm just telling you what you said. So you said. <laughs> I, I don't know. I didn't hear myself say it. I love that because on the level of soul, we're all equal. So if you're tapping into that as a creator, then you're equalizing the experience. Like you as a creator are allowing us to join you in this process of listening. Like we're not separate from your from your experience. We're just joining it. Yes, 100%. And maybe as you're saying, what you're saying is also that those of us who are, I guess, passionate or drawn to this leaning in and listening more, we're all, I mean, we're, we're doing it. Like you said, it's for the collective, like we're all being affected by it. So even if there are days when I feel a little lonely (laughs) and no one's necessarily listening in with me, the world is being reshaped as each of us do our tiny little part. And so it might be a really quiet, quiet path sometimes, but something shines through for sure. And when people hear your music, I'm sure they hear that deep listening that you're doing and and tap into that for themselves. I think so. I hope so. I mean, I definitely feel that I've when I receive that kind of feedback, it's the most fulfilling feedback I can receive, like of all time. Like I used to laugh when I was younger. I used to say that it was probably coming from a deep place, even though now it sounds a little funny. I used to say my greatest success is if I get up on the stage and I sing and people start crying. <laughs> like I thought it sounded terrible. You know, it, it was sort of like in good humor, but a little terrible. Like I just want to make everyone cry. But I know what, yeah, then I thought I was, then I was being dramatic about it. But today it, I just, I was just speaking to a friend of mine, an Israeli friend and a new song had come forth and she said, share it with me. And so I played it for her and I really was just in it like, like a prayer. Cause those words are feeling really alive in me right now. And when I finished, I was like, it was kind of quiet. And I was like, are you there? And she was sobbing. And I was like, oh, you joined me. Thank you. That's all, you know? And she was like, I'm not crying out of sadness. I'm crying out of being moved. Like she was like, you know, like, don't worry. I'm okay. But um, it was just a beautiful moment. It was really beautiful. To like have that experience of watching someone join you in that deep place. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I think another challenge is letting the art go. You know, so you have this thing that came through you or that maybe you manipulated (laughs) either one and like what's happening now, you're going to have to let it go. And I've definitely experienced the angst of letting the art go of just saying like, I have to let it go. Like I can't hold on to it. And I'm starting to wonder if the more you let it write you, the more you let it flow through you, the more the song came through and you didn't lead it, but it led you the more you can let it go because it wasn't ever yours to begin with. You really just heard it. And so you're just letting it pass through you. It was never ours. If we let it happen through us, then we can let it leave us too in in the time that it's meant to go. 
and trust that it will do its work wherever it continues on. There's a sand sculpture. Okay. I mean, sand sculptures are probably all over the world and they're all, it's just an amazing art form. You know, they're sculpting things out of sand. But I I was in Tel Aviv once and I was walking along the shore on Matze Shabbos and I saw this sand sculpture and he had made this incredible, incredible, I mean, it was just unbelievably nuanced, detailed creation. And I was just, I was in awe. I'm always just in awe of like, I mean, you know, any art form, but also specifically people who are doing things that, you know, how long is this going to last? And I said to him, I said, what happens with this? And he said, oh, it's going to be gone by tomorrow morning. I said, and how many hours did you spend on it? He said, seven, eight hours today. Wow. I said, one second, you're okay that tomorrow morning this is going to be destroyed. He said, yeah, either people will run on it or it'll rain or the wind, it's going to be gone. And I said, and how is that okay with you? Like, how are you how can you see that be destroyed? How can you let that go and not have angst every day? And he looked at me and he said, you know what? I used to be a painter and it brought me so much inner tension and and stress and pain because I would paint and it was never, I was looking for something deep. I was looking for a divinity. I was looking for something sacred and the painting was never right. It was never expressing what I wanted. And it just, I hung up all these paintings and I, I still didn't feel God. And he said, I was speaking to my sister once and she said, you know, why don't you do an art form that disappears, that doesn't last, that you don't have to have that angst with? And he said, and it made me think of sand sculpting. And so I came here because this is where I feel God. This is where I feel the divinity, the creativity flowing through me, that it was never mine to begin with, and I can let it go. Oh, my God. Wow. I loved it. That's beautiful. Yeah. It was never mine to begin with. So then I can let it go and then I can share it and I can also include others in it. And then it just becomes like a much more generous and expansive space as opposed to like a possessive and really personal thing that doesn't include anyone else. Yeah. I mean, he's really lucky because he really doesn't have to look at it ever again. (laughs) So he knows it's gone. (laughs) He really knows it didn't belong to him because nature takes it away. (laughs) Right. Like God himself takes it away. (laughs) Right. But but you can apply that to anything for sure. Yeah, it's a little bit harder when you have to still look at the art and see what impact it's making or start measuring it. But it doesn't matter. The truth is the same. If you let it come through you, it'll you'll be able to let it go. In allowing divinity to flow through you and and allowing like your ultimate truth to flow through you as an artist, as a singer, songwriter. And again, I'm only mentioning those examples because I'm talking to you specifically and we're so we're speaking about song, but creativity exists in so many forms. Have you ever experienced that tension between, on the one hand, recognizing that this doesn't belong to me? On the other hand, I want to communicate a certain message. Yeah, 100%. And it's really good to brought that up because maybe we need to clarify that, that for sure, we're not saying that you're not active in the process of co-creating or letting creativity flow through. You you have to be there because if you're completely not there, then, you know, who's putting pen to paper? Who's putting, you know, their hand on the, on the piano, right? You're there. But I think it's this paradox. Communicating a message and knowing what you want to say is like the seed, like it has to be there. You have to, like, it's like Kavana, right? You have to have the intention. It has to be there. And then when you start to pray, you're no longer putting on a show. I mean, we hope, right? God doesn't want a show. He, He just wants your heart. He just wants an authentic conversation. 
So it's like I step up to the art form or the medium with an intention, with a desire, with a longing, and then I begin to pray. And the music or the paint or the pen will play out that intention in whatever way the song is being played in a higher world or in whatever way the poem is being said in a higher world. And and I think it's a beautiful blend of me and the transcendent flow coming together. Maybe it's, you know, my, my music teacher also said this phrase to me, like I told you I have a thousand, but I remember bringing him a song and I had, you know, I had, I think I felt that it was authentic and it was coming through me. And, and then I was stuck. I hit this, like, it didn't continue. And I, I was really just like blocked. I was like, I don't know where to, where to take it. And I said to him, I said, I don't know where to take this melody. Cause he was like, you got to continue. And he looked at me and he said, where to take it. He said, she's not yours to take. You have to just ask her where she wants to go. He, he wasn't like, oh, you just sit back passively. He was like, no, you have to be here. You're going to choose the next chord progression. But you have to hear her and say, okay, where is she leaning towards? You know, where, I'm sure you feel this in poetry. Like, where does the next phrase want to go? What does it want to say? How does it want to feel? And then you begin to speak. I don't know. It's, it's, there's definitely like a spiritual element to it that is hard to describe in words. But I really think it's the dance. It's the dance of having the intention, being very present, putting pen to paper, having the tools and the skills and working the vessel really hard for maybe months and years and, you know, all that time before so that when the moment of opening is is there, you're ready. You're ready. Like you have everything you need to walk. I like that. It's like the showing up is what you can contribute. Like you have to show up and you have to, as you said, like you have to have the skills and the the hours put in and the work and the presence and the paying attention. I feel like that's a big one is the paying attention is that in order for you to be able to hear it, you have to really be paying attention. And depending on what your form of expression is, paying attention is going to look different. So if you're a songwriter, paying attention is going to mean playing music, showing up to your instrument. If you're a painter, it will mean showing up to your canvas. If you're a teacher, it will mean showing up in the classroom. It's like really paying attention to make sure that you, I guess, carve out the space to listen. Yeah, it's definitely that. And I, I will be really honest that even just the showing up could be very overwhelming. I think I'll forever struggle with that because you know, I don't know. Sometimes I laugh because people ask me like, oh, so you love music. And I say, love? I don't know if I love music. I can say a lot of other things. I'm overwhelmed by music. My heart swells and I don't know what to do with the feelings when I hear music. I'm scared of the music. I'm daunted by the music. I'm drawn to the music. And I'm also in a great dance of resistance with the music. So like, there's so much of that coming close to it that is overwhelming because it demands so much of you, like in a very deep, deep soul way. It's not just like, like anything in life, you know, showing up means there's a whole bunch of other things that you're willing to do in order to step into that world. I think it's probably so daunting as with anything that's daunting in life is because that's where the work is. You know, Hashem speaks to you in whatever medium he chooses that is right for your soul. And so that medium is going to be, or that part of life or that field is going to be both the thing you're most drawn to and the thing you wrestle with the most. Wrestle. Because it's like when you listen, when you listen to something, you hear something. And then when you hear something, you have to confront it. 
Mm. That can be challenging. Yes, 100%. Yeah, yeah. And also confronting all the things that you might not want to confront to get to that quiet, beautiful place. (laughs) Right, right. Because there's going to be uncomfortable emotions there. There's going to be noise and distraction that you're not willing to let go of yet. The earthquake and the wind. Yeah, exactly. It's like, God, could you just be here so I don't have to get past this noise? (laughs) (laughs) Just stay with me. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I'd love to hear your tips for anyone listening and integrating this concept into their life, whether or not someone identifies as a creative person, how can they carve out that silence within them to really listen to the authentic voice that's wants to speak through them, the prayer inside of our souls that aches to express itself in many different ways. Mm, Yeah, you said that really beautifully because I think the listening in and the voice that rises up will apply to everything in our lives. So I will say, first of all, I really feel like our generation is, we're challenged maybe the most because we live in such a noisy, noisy world. And so, you know, sometimes I think of like, in the days of the prophets, you know, when people were shepherds and farmers, you know, I don't think they had to wrestle as much to hear that voice always. I mean, prophecy was just all over the place. But I think the ability to listen in is still there. It's just we have so much more noise to work through. So honestly, to turn off the noise of things like social media, of whatever it is, whatever our distraction is, our phone, our computer, the noisy things of this world that don't let us just sit with ourselves a little bit, you know, and everyone has their thing that helps them tap into their quiet space, whether it's being in nature or prayer or, or listening to, it could be listening to something that's just, you know, not overly stimulating, but something that helps you sort of silence yourself a little bit. So really to maybe just sort of make some of those things a practice or even just minimize a little bit, some of the noise, because that's really the only way to start listening. Um, is to carve out space to listen. You become better at listening then. You become more sensitive to what tastes true and what doesn't. Wherever you choose to, to spend time shedding some noise in your life, that is going to be a gift that will color everything you do and every conversation you have and every relationship you have because you just become more aware and more sensitive and more, you become a better listener. I do think that the Torah and Judaism, you know, I don't think this is why it was given to us, but I do think by default it forces us to become better listeners because everything about our sacred observance is about presence and mindfulness. There's no way to really be in a relationship with God and to be non-mindful. I mean, then you're just not there. If you're there, you're forced to be mindful. The same way any of these art forms are like, if you're going to show up, You have to dedicate yourself to the angst of pushing through and carving through and and shedding noise. I think, you know, if if, if any of us have taken on the commitment to be in a relationship with God, then we're automatically going to be called to listen in on some level. So beautiful. Thank you so much, Sarah. (laughs) Thank you for sharing your wisdom, your creativity, I feel like I entered a place of stillness, even though you were talking. (laughs) Seriously, that's how I feel. Like I feel it was so meditative to me, like that, just what that 
is like to really tap into that silence inside of you to allow the sound to flow through. I think you express that so beautifully and also how that expresses itself in our lives, not only in the way that we create art, but also in the way that we engage with Torah and with God. So yeah. thank you for sharing that. Just disclaimer, the shoemaker doesn't have shoes. So clearly this is my big wrestle, <laughs> learning how to listen. <laughs> if I have any wisdom to share on learning how to listen, I'm still and forever learning how to listen. Yeah. Well, as you said, the world doesn't get any less noisy, right? So it's like a constant returning. hundred percent. In fact, it probably gets noisier because the more sensitive you are to it, suddenly it's so much louder than it ever was. The smallest sounds are amplified. That's such a good point. Yes. Nice. The smallest distractions are suddenly like so much more magnified. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Tanya. Elokai zakinina Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, you can find me on Instagram at the Tanya Project or by email at humanholy at gmail.com. New episode comes out every other Sunday. If you want to be alerted at the exact moment that a new episode comes out, hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like this podcast and want more people to discover it, I'd love if you could take a quick minute to leave a rating or review. I love that line that Sarah shared, how we don't really have to do anything when we pray. We just have to pay attention to the prayer that our souls are already singing. I'm going to take five minutes today just to listen, to wade through the distractions and make space for the song of my soul. If you are seeking to create or just to tap into the unique elements of your soul's song, take a few moments to put down your phone and pick up your pen or your paintbrush or go for a walk. At the same time that we silence the noise, we also make a vessel for the note to enter. Personally, I have been wading through a lot of noise. Moments of quiet do not happen to me. I am reminded that listening to our souls is not a passive pursuit. It is something we actively and consciously carve out space for. In order to create, we must make a vessel for the note to enter. And in order to listen, to truly listen, we need to carve out the silence our souls crave. Mm-hmm.